Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, the recently disclosed vulnerability by Google relating to a common shared library called LibWebP has been identified as a vulnerability in hundreds of other products. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella shared some very interesting details while testifying in the antitrust case against Google this week. And Google have announced new Chromebook Plus laptops that will offer double the performance of existing Chromebooks. For these stories and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my awesome sponsors. And that includes Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. And also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp. Happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM, to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. This week, the antitrust case against Google in the U.S. proceeded, and during the hearing, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella appeared, and when discussing how Microsoft was trying to grow Bing into a Google competitor, he revealed that Microsoft was ready to spend around $15 billion to become the default search engine in Apple's devices. He later claimed Apple and Google have a, quote, fantastic oligopolistic arrangement. And related to this, Apple currently gets a commission from Google for using its search engine on its devices, which amounts to about 10 to $12 billion annually, according to a report by MSPowerUser.com. And MSPowerUser.com also covered some of the highlights from Nadella's testimony, and that included that without Google's huge user data collected using its monopoly position in the market, Bing was not able to better compete in terms of quality. Also, according to Nadella, AI will further cement Google's dominant position in search because Google will be able to lock data from other competing services. For example, Google will sign exclusive deals with publishers so that other services will not be able to crawl the data. Google can also dominate the search engine market by outspending rivals to prevent anyone else from building a better product. And even with new AI technologies, the distribution advantage which Google has today will not go away. And Microsoft has spent $100 billion over the years to develop Bing, (laughs) which seems crazy. Uh, The entire notion that people have choice in search is completely bogus, according to Nadella which is somewhat laughable given the source on this. And on why Apple would ever want to switch to Bing, Nadella claimed that Microsoft have proven that if they get the user data from Apple's query share, they can bridge the quality gap. And also in the long run, they said that it's better for Apple if search is more competitive because that will give Apple more options when negotiating search default deals in the future. And also, I thought particularly interesting, he claims that Silicon Valley sees search business as, quote, the biggest no-fly zone of all, as it is the hardest market to crack. The report suggests that Google's lawyer then cross-examined Nadella 
and put it to him that Microsoft simply fumbled with the likes of Internet Explorer, Live Search, Windows Phone, and other products, implying that they simply failed to compete rather than it was due to Google having an unfair advantage. Yeah, I just kind of find that it's somewhat funny hearing this argument coming from Microsoft, who one could claim carry out some very anti-competition practices of their own in various different spaces that they are dominant in. Some of which I've covered on the podcast over the last couple of weeks. Interestingly, around the same time as the testimony by Satya Nadella that questioned the relationship between Apple and Google, MSPowerUser.com reported on rumors that Apple is working on making its own search engine. They reported that a former Google executive who is now with Apple has overseen the rollout of Apple's search feature within Apple's various apps such as Apple News and Apple TV. And the implication in the report appears to be that a more general purpose search engine could be in the works. But this is purely rumor. Any other week that I read this kind of story, I would opt to just not cover it on the podcast at all since it has no substance behind it. Uh, MSPower.user.com reported on it, as I suggested, as did Bloomberg. And just to me, what makes this interesting is that multiple outlets have published this story at the same time that Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella was publicly throwing shade on Apple and Google's arrangement. So, you know, the suggestion that Apple is working on its own competing product to Google search engine could possibly quell some of the criticism Apple will receive for potentially partnering with Google who are being accused of anti-competitive practices in the search engine market. On last week's episode of the podcast, I cover the fact that Google revised one of their previous vulnerability disclosures from three weeks ago about a heap buffer overflow vulnerability and published a new CVE, which was CVE-2023-5217 which listed a library used for media compression called libwebp as a vulnerable component without much explanation for the progression that led to them disclosing this new separate CVE. When I scripted last week's episode of the podcast, a handful of other applications were identified as vulnerable due to also using this library. I also stated this one has the potential to become like the log for shell vulnerability last year that resulted in many vendors issuing patches due to relying on that popular library, which that one in that case was used by many for logging purposes. But wouldn't you know it, that is exactly what has transpired. There are multiple lists being curated by those in the community, listing vendors and products that are susceptible to this vulnerability by using this library and the number is in the hundreds and likely to keep growing. Google as always did not share many technical details about the vulnerability but Ars Technica reports that Mozilla recently confirmed that Firefox is also vulnerable due to using the library. They tend to be more forthcoming with details so perhaps as they dig more into the vulnerability in regards to their own products they'll share further details in the future. At the moment, the mere suggestion is that a booby-trapped image could execute harmful code on a victim's machine. Now again, this vulnerability has been given the maximum 10 out of 10 on the severity scale, so it does have major implications. And for their part, Microsoft have confirmed that some of their products are vulnerable to these 
recently disclosed CVEs, and that includes Microsoft Edge, Microsoft Teams for desktop, Skype for desktop, WebP image extensions, which is released on Windows and updates through Microsoft Store. And this may not be all that surprising because if you look at that list, Edge is Chromium based. Teams for desktop is an Electron app, which apparently Electron apps are affected by the original heap buffer overflow vulnerability, which is CVE-2023-4863. So if you're using other Electron apps, it is likely that that vulnerability is going to be patched for those apps. So I'm sure this story is going to be one that has legs and I will likely be having another follow-up report on this next week. ARM have warned that they are aware of active ongoing attacks targeting a vulnerability in device drivers for its Mali line of GPUs, which run on a host of devices, including Google Pixels and other Android handsets, Chromebooks, and hardware running Linux. According to ARM's security advisory, with this vulnerability, a local non-privileged user can make improper GPU memory processing operations to gain access to already freed memory. This issue is fixed in Bitfrost, Valhall, and ARM 5th generation GPU architecture kernel driver R43P0. There is evidence that this vulnerability may be under limited targeted exploitation, and users are recommended to upgrade if they are impacted by this issue. The advisory continued that a local non-privileged user can make improper GPU processing operations to access a limited amount of buffer bounds or to exploit a software race condition. If the system's memory is carefully prepared by the user, then this in turn could give them access to already freed memory. Ars Technica reports the most prevalent platform affected by the vulnerability is Google's line of pixels, which are one of the only Android models to receive security updates on a timely basis. Google patched Pixels in its September update against this vulnerability, which is tracked as CVE-2023-4211. Google has also patched Chromebooks that use the vulnerable GPUs. CVE-2023-4211 is present in a range of ARM GPUs released over the past decade, and those chips that are affected include Midgard GPU kernel driver, all versions R12P0 through R32P0, Bitfrost GPU kernel drivers, all versions from R0P0 to R42P0, the Valhall GPU kernel driver, all versions from R19P0 to R42P0, and ARM 5th generation GPU architecture kernel drivers, all versions from R41P0 to R42P0. The chips are used on a wide range of products, so be sure to keep up to date on your patches. Microsoft will deprecate the classic edition of its Azure Virtual Desktop, Desktop as a Service, and has given customers until September 30th, 2026 to keep using the service before they must migrate. If you do run on Classic, you can move to the current version simply by using Microsoft's automated migration feature. The Register reported on the announcement and the forced move from the Classic Edition to the newer Azure Resource Manager-based Azure Virtual Desktop and threw a lot of shade at Microsoft for making it confusing by going from Windows Virtual Desktop to Azure Virtual Desktop, then turning Azure Virtual Desktop into Azure Virtual Desktop Classic, while anointing a newer Azure Resource Manager version as Azure Virtual Desktop, which yeah, just explaining this, this sounds confusing. And they even missed the fact in their article that it was initially being referred to as RDMI, like the remote desktop modern infrastructure. Uh, I may have been following it too closely throughout the years 
because I honestly have not found it all that confusing, but just reading their article going through it does sound confusing. So for those who are maybe not as close to it over the years, yeah, it definitely sounds like it could be confusing. BGR.com have reported that Apple has agreed to the Chinese government's rules to tighten up the Apple Store in their country. Apple now requires new apps to show proof of a Chinese government license before releasing their software on the China App Store. The article indicates this will lead to more complexity for developers to get their apps published in the store there. And the report suggests this may be leveraged to block apps like Telegram, which is used for encrypted messaging, and VPN apps for accessing content and services not currently permitted for access in the country getting blocked. China is a huge market for Apple, and it appears that they are going to play ball with the new regulations. Google have announced the Chromebook Plus laptop line, which will bring more powerful Chromebooks to the market. They said all Chromebook Plus laptops offer faster processors and double the memory and storage, giving you the power to get more done easily. All Chromebook Plus laptops also come with a full HD IPS display, which means you get a full 1080p high-def experience when watching streaming content and crisp, clear viewing for reading, creating content, or editing photos and videos. Finally, there's a 1080p Plus web camera with temporal noise reduction for smoother, more lifelike video calls. It'll be interesting to see if Chromebooks get decent web cameras before MacBooks do. Neowind.net reports all Chromebook Plus laptops will have hardware that will match or exceed 8 gigs plus of RAM, 128 gigs plus of storage, that 1080p plus web camera with temporal noise reduction, full high def IPS or better displays, and Intel Core i3 12th generation or above or AMD Ryzen 3 7000 series or above. Asus, Acer, HP, and Lenovo will each launch two Chromebook Plus laptops this autumn with pre-orders beginning on October 8th, and the starting price in the U.S. appears to be around $399. Interestingly, Dell have not announced a Chromebook Plus, at least yet. There was a very interesting article by BleepyComputer.com this week that reported Cloudflare can be leveraged to launch denial-of-service attacks against sites that use Cloudflare. So if you did a double take and thought I must have misspoke when reading this, no, I didn't. It's true. The issue appears to be due to the fact Cloudflare uses a shared certificate for the service rather than a unique certificate for each tenant. So Cloudflare to Cloudflare traffic is seen as safe and valid to communicate with one another. An attacker can set up a custom domain with Cloudflare and point the DNSA record to a victim's IP address. The attacker then disables all protection features for that custom domain in their tenant and tunnels their attack through the Cloudflare infrastructure. This approach allows attackers to bypass the protection features that might be in place used by the victim. A proof-of-concept exploit has been shared by the researchers who discovered the logic flaws reported to Cloudflare via HackerOne back in March, but the issue was closed and marked as, quote, informative. BleepyComputer.com has contacted Cloudflare to ask if there are any plans to implement additional protection mechanisms or warn clients with potentially risky configurations, but they have yet to hear back, at least at the time of this recording. 
uh, something tells me they may respond to this now since there's an exploit or a proof of concept being shared publicly. And just some quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. Some early bugs have been reported in Microsoft's co-pilot that they recently announced and put into preview. But the good news is Microsoft at least appears to already be aware of these bugs and may be working on a fix as they have acknowledged some of the issues in the September updates. And that includes that Narrator does not work as you expect with challenge response tests such as CAPTCHA. Narrator fails to correctly state the name of the remove an image button. It also fails to say the name of the dialogue or buttons for a skill. And when you are in the chat input box, pressing tab does not change the keyboard focus. If you add an image to the chat input box, Narrator does not announce the addition. So man, it doesn't sound like too major of bugs, at least those initial ones that Microsoft have acknowledged. And obviously this is in its infancy, so you know, have to probably wait a while until it gets stable. Microsoft have resolved a known issue that causes Outlook desktop to unexpectedly prompt users to reopen previously closed windows. The problem has been addressed in version 2309 build 16827.20130. So if you've been encountering this behavior, the good news is it looks like there's now a fix. Also a quick hit, as of the latest signature database for Windows Defender version 1.397.1910.0, Windows Defender no longer flags Tor.exe as a Trojan, (laughs) which this is something I reported on first, I think over a year ago. And the reason it was being flagged as a threat originally was because I believe it was like renaming the exe while doing an update which is familiar because that's exactly what Edge does when it's updating. And finally in the news this week, Google are set to kill another product. This time the product is their Microsoft whiteboard competitor called the Jamboard. MSPowerUser.com reports that starting from September 30th, 2024, so next September, you will no longer be able to use your Jamboard device. If you have an upcoming 12-month subscription renewal for your Jamboard device, you can renew it for a term that will end on September 30th, 2024, at a prorated cost. On October 1st, you will no longer be able to create new or existing jams on web, iOS, and Android, and will finally completely shut down on December 31st of 2024. And now this week's scripts, tricks, and tips. I'm going to keep it short this week, but I saw that Florence Salzman had a blog post on testing applications in system context and a step-by-step guide using PSExec. And I believe in his use case, it was for testing applications before you're deploying them in Intune. Uh, but it's funny because it was quite nostalgic for me because I believe I posted a blog post on a similar topic more around, you know, after doing application packaging work, you should test that application install in the system context and then test with the second user. And I basically just had steps on how you can do that with PS exec. And the reason for that is because with Windows installers, if you install maybe user specific components, you may need active setup in order to make sure that works uh, for the actual logged in user. So if you're deploying with something like SCCM that deploys in the system context or possibly deploys in the system context, then you're going to want to have to account for that user component. So it's always a good idea to test that in the system context, but can it, it can apply to other scenarios too. So it's a useful one to know. 
and I'll share a link to Florin's blog post with this episode, which is episode 302. And you can find it at fivebytespodcast.com. And finally, on multiple episodes of the podcast before, uh, I've championed using Twitter. I thought it was like a really great tool uh, just for anyone in enterprise IT. There's a really solid community for different technology specialties and communities. But honestly, I think it has been waning um, since recent changes, particularly with the Twitter blue stuff. Uh, engagement just seems to have kind of fallen off a cliff, or at least that's what I'm seeing. Perhaps those with Twitter Blue are seeing an uptick in engagement, just the way that things have been changed on the platform. With that said, I've been trying Sky Blue for the last few weeks. It has a lot of shortcomings, to be honest, uh, but layout-wise and just the fundamentals, it's very similar to what Twitter was when Twitter first started. And I do have three invite codes, so if you're listening to this podcast and you'd like an invite code, first come, first serve. Just reach out to me and I'll be happy to share that with you. And before signing off for this week, just a reminder that I am doing a giveaway to mark the 300th episode of the podcast. The giveaway draw is going to take place on October 31st. And one winner will be chosen at random to get a Stream Deck Plus, which is a cool version of the Stream Deck where you're able to program in your own buttons to do things like, hey, you know, press this button, launch a certain application, press this button, maybe put the application in full view mode and so forth. It's just very, very useful and powerful. But the Stream Deck Plus has additional controls like being able to control like volume levels and different inputs like that with a slider. But that's it for this episode. If anyone's going to be in Utrecht for the App Manage event, I hope to see you there. And that's the reason why this episode's out a little bit earlier than usual. Hopefully next week I'll be back into the usual weekly cadence that comes at the end of the work week. But thanks all so much for listening.